You're listening to the Namaste Babe podcast, a high vibe hangout for the spiritually woke woman ready to make quantum leaps in her life, business, and bank account. I'm your host, Kiki Yura, and I refuse to play by the rules. I'm an X9 to Fiber turned spiritual life and business coach, master NLP practitioner, and founder of the Namaste Babe brand. I'm here to lead you into your divinity so you can manifest a life and business you are wildly obsessed with. Each week, you can expect episodes from myself and guest experts who are leaders in their field. The episodes are dedicated to your expansion on all things mindset, money, and manifestation. It is my intention that these episodes help you raise your vibration, tune into your truth, and step into a life you fucking love. Are you ready? Let's slay. Hello guys, welcome back. I am so excited for today's episode because we have the incredible and the amazing Yolanda Boyeran with us and she has so graciously decided to grace us with her presence. I'm so happy to have you here with us. Welcome. Oh, thank you. I am so excited to be here. I feel like this podcast needed to happen like forever ago. (laughs) I was just telling my um, Facebook group the exact same thing. I'm kicking myself for not starting it earlier, but I am so excited to have you as a guest. Uh, Guys, if this is your first time coming across Yolanda, she is the money relationship guru behind the brand Manifest Mad Money, which I absolutely love. And her mission and goal is to help driven entrepreneurs to create and manifest the life and business of their dreams, all while feeling completely fulfilled, passionate, and aligned. She is the perfect mix of strategy and woo that helps bring out the confident, thriving, and abundant version of you. I love that. Such a great (laughs) bio. And you guys, Yolanda has like such an incredible life story. She has so many great nuggets of information and different bits along her, her life path, which is something we're definitely going to talk about today. But First, why don't you tell the audience a bit more about who you are and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, of course. So I um, was in real estate for about 10 years and I was thriving. I was making multiple six figures a year, but I was working, you know, long, long hours, 10 to 12 hour days. Um, I did a lot of managing um, home builders uh, businesses. So, you know, they're always building homes. And so it was just, it was a lot. And so I was never home. And my son um, turned 14 and he attempted suicide. He attempted to overdose on pills. And I was on my way home from showing a property and my husband called me and told me he was rushing him to the hospital. And this is when my entire world changed. You know, we often don't realize, you know, how we're neglecting certain things or people or situations until we're faced with a really tough time. And so that's what this time did for me. And it made me completely walk away from my career because after this, this was a long, long journey that we're still kind of dealing with, but in a more manageable way. Um, You know, he had a lot of um, emotional stuff that he was having to work through. And so I was, I was doing everything that I could to get him the right team of doctors that weren't just wanting to shove a pill down his throat and, you know, diagnosing him with depression. I knew it wasn't depression. I knew this was something different. Um, And so, yeah, I just left my career, which I needed to do for my son and my family. But then I also felt like, you know, I was, I was losing me. Mm. So I kind of just fell into this huge depression. And, and through that, I dove deeper into my spirituality And, um, that's ultimately how I wound up becoming a coach because diving deeper into my spirituality and my beliefs, like really pulled me out of what I was falling into. Mm. It's so insane. The power that our mind has over the way 
our realities are shaped. It's absolutely crazy. And it's interesting because um, I've heard, I've heard this story before, but I never heard this until today is that your son and I both tried to do the same thing. We both took a handful of pills And for me, I just went to bed. I was 13 at the time. So like very similar age, age range. And for myself, it was, you know, daily bullying at school and being tormented and having things said about me that weren't true. And, you know, people cornering me in the bathroom and making fun of my laugh and egging my house and just like all of these things that just built up to a point where I was like, what is, what is the point, right? Like you get, I think at that age too, because we are so impressionable, we are so um, hanging on to the opinions of others. Like that is that socialization period. That's where your peers have the most effect on you. And I remember going to sleep that night and just praying that it would be over, praying that I wouldn't have to face another day at school, praying that I wouldn't have to, go through that torment that was like so unwarranted. It was just for me being myself and I wasn't accepted. And that was the only reason for it. And I'm, I'm curious, was it something similar with your son that, that he was going through? Was it like a peer situation or, um, cause you said it wasn't, it wasn't depression, right? Yeah, you know, I think he was trying too hard to find his people, you Mm. know. So I noticed right before he attempted, um, he he would change, like, how he would dress and who he would hang out with. Like, over, you know, a, a period of two years, I think he was really trying to find what crowd he wanted to be in. He went from dressing really preppy and asking me for vineyard vines clothes to you know, trying to do punk rock and wanting to me to shop with him at Hot Topic and and then going to, you know, like his rap phase and, and trying to buy the baggy clothes. Like, I think he was really trying to find himself. And, um, you know, he did have a little bit of bullying when he was younger, but I think this was more of just feeling like he didn't belong anywhere. Mm. I definitely can relate to that. It was, I grew up in a neighborhood where everyone was in competition with one. I think not even the kids, but like the parents were all in competition with one another. We grew up in a very like, well, I grew up in a very well-to-do neighborhood and my mom came from like absolutely nothing. So she raised me with that, you know, mentality and it's, I, I so see that in, and this was before the days of like social media and all of the conditioning that kids get nowadays and how they can face all of those struggles in such a different way than like what I went through or maybe what your son went through. Um, but one of the things that I never really, like as I was kind of preparing for this call, I was thinking Um, this question kind of came up to me and I never really put myself in the shoes of my mother because I didn't talk about my incident until years after it happened because I, I snuck the pills. I took a handful. I went to bed, I woke up and it was just like the day my life carried on. Right. It was, Oh, okay. It never, it's like, it never happened. And I didn't tell anyone until maybe two years later, but you were like in that moment, right? So what was that like first as a mother, but then second, like the healing that came after that? Can you talk a little bit about that process? Yeah, of course. You know, it's, um, it's so similar. Um, what he tried to do was take the pills when nobody was home and then tried to go to bed. Yeah. And, and left the pill bottle on the counter. Um, and my husband um, wound up coming home, seeing the pill bottle on the counter, thinking really nothing of it, just thinking somebody left the pills on the counter. And um, my my son's girlfriend kept calling, and we had a home phone at the time. She kept calling the home phone 
And my husband never liked to answer the phone, but because it kept, you know, ringing, 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 he answered. And, and that's when she said he overdosed. He texted me and told me that he's overdosed and he's going to bed. Now he's not answering. So my husband rushed and, you know, saw him and realized he was like really out of it. And so that's really the only way that we knew that, you know, that that had happened. And it's so weird because this is where I had so much pressure on my shoulders and I had so much judgment from outside, from people not experiencing it from my shoes. Mm. In that moment, I didn't have time to be a mom per se. I had to evaluate what was going to be the best solution for him. I had to worry about his care. I couldn't worry about my feelings at the time. I couldn't worry about if I was brokenhearted or, and I, I had a lot of people commenting to me, wow, it's as if you have no emotion attached to this. Yeah. I just buckled over for those of you who are not able to see this, but that it's just, it's that fight or flight situation that comes in. I feel, and like, no one can understand what you're going through, but you. Exactly. And I just felt like I don't have time to cry. I don't have time to be emotional. I don't have time to break down. Right. The soul I'm going to cry. <laughs> this soul is relying on me. Yeah. And um, guys, I don't cry much. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm holding the space for you. Yeah, this is a huge breakthrough for me. But, um, you know, I had so much judgment and it was just like, I, I, I couldn't focus on that. So I really had to shut everybody out of my life. I literally stopped answering my phone. I stopped mm. answering text messages. And then I sent my son to a um, therapeutic place out in Utah where it's um, three months. They are just out in the wilderness. They don't have a home. They have sleeping bags and tents they make. They don't have access to a phone. They hike all day long and they have a therapist with them to work through things and they have private therapy and then they have group therapy and it's you're they're basically like making their own food over a fire and and I just thought he needed to be out of school he yeah. needed out of the environment of influence and during that time you know I had no communication with him other than letters that he was forced to write once a week and you can imagine as a teenager being forced to write your parents like they're not the best letters on the planet Right. So I really, I felt so alone other than my husband, like nobody knew what we were going through, but everybody had a fucking opinion, you know? And so I just shut the world off and it's like, I became this hermit and it's like, I was, you know, back to fight or flight. It's like, let me protect myself. Let me just get through this. And I developed a huge drinking problem, huge. I mean, I was, you know, maybe one to two full bottles a day at times. Like, I don't even know how I was making through the days. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, as a mom, it was, it was extreme. That was the toughest thing I've ever faced in my life. And how did you move through that? Like, what was that... I, I know what my last straw moment was when I was struggling with alcohol and drugs, but what was that breaking point for you? I went to go take out the trash one day and I heard all the clinking from the bottles in the trash. And it was like, okay, this is out of control. And my husband and I, you know, prior to this happening, like one of our biggest hobbies was visiting vineyards and we would buy two, three bottles at a time from each vineyard. So at one point we had, you know, an entire, like probably 50 bottles of wine. And it was like, I realized we were down to like six or seven bottles. Wow. It was like, okay, this is, this is a problem. And then 
that's when I was like, this is not who you are, Yolanda. This is not like, you know, this is a crutch and this is going to get much worse and you're not going to be able to take care of your son's needs if you continue down this path. Um, so that's when my spirituality came, you know, screaming back at me and it was like, okay, this is, this is what I'm doing. And I completely quit drinking cold Turkey for months. Amazing. Amazing. I actually challenged myself this year to do non-consecutively, but six months out of the year sober. And I am about almost five months now. So we're, we're heading into December. I'm if the minimum that I will tolerate is five and a half months. If I don't make it to six with the holidays coming up, it's, it's something that might be a little iffy, but it's, it's a powerful thing to really challenge yourself to step out of that. And especially without the support of other people, like I, when I was going through that time in my life, I went and ran away to a cruise ship because I knew that I could be randomly drug tested at any time. And I knew that if I was ever breathalyzed, they would fire me. So it was just, that was how I healed really. You know, and that takes so, I feel like that takes so much guts to put yourself in a position where it's like, you're going to be accountable. You know, like I didn't necessarily have accountability other than myself, but for you, like just jumping into a situation where it's like, okay, hold me accountable now. Well, and that was the thing, because I was too proud to ask for help. Like I knew internally, I knew I had an issue and it's something that, you know, still sometimes like I'll, I'll teeter on that edge every once in a blue moon. It does not happen the way that it used to anymore by any means. But there was a point in time where before my spirituality came in, before my consciousness was really heightened, it was all the time, like really a a struggle on like, I wouldn't say a daily basis, but whenever I would drink, it was just always to the extreme. Like there was never any, it was either one or like 10, 15. I was, I was the bottle, bottle and a half person too. So I, and wine was my drink of choice. So I feel you, I feel you. But But that's the thing is that I just, I know my limits now and I know that I can't drink the way that I used to because, you know, like you'll never see me drinking a full bottle of wine anymore. It's like a once in a blue moon kind of thing. And it's on like a very special occasion. It doesn't happen. But that was the thing is that I was too, I, I was ashamed to go, maybe it's not even pride. I was ashamed to ask for help. I was ashamed to have that conversation with my parents and say, you know, like who wants to admit to their parents that they've been drinking and driving? No, no one, no one. So it's, it's, it was a really tough thing, but I said, you know what, this is the perfect opportunity for me to change. And then of course that was when cancer came in and I was like, well, now I really have to change. Right. But the really cool thing I think for you and that you just mentioned was that you were spiritual and then it kind of went away and then it came back. So you have this beautiful um, and kind of wild story about manifestation, which we're going to get into in a second. But it's from what I understand about it, you were actually introduced to manifestation at like a young age through your uncle, right? Yes. And so in that time, were you aware that his convictions and what he spoke about was actually the idea of manifestation? Like, did he ever use that terminology? He did because he was very into astrology and science and things like that. So he definitely used the terminology, but at that age, I was just like, whatever. Whatever. (laughs) It doesn't click until it clicks, right? Like things will come in your, this was how I was with the secret it came into my existence when I was like 22 and then completely went away. I like, I didn't think about it again for years up until after my cancer diagnosis, I saw the movie again and I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. This makes like total sense. It was like mind blowing. So 
Why don't you tell everyone about this incredible story? (laughs) Yeah. So, um, my uncle ultimately wound up manifesting a $42 million lottery win. Yes. Woof. Better. 42 million all by himself too. Um, and since I was like four and five years old, he was, he was always the uncle of like, Oh, let me read your horoscope. Oh, let me tell you about this. Oh, let me, you know, he was just very into the power of the mind and the science behind it and, and the cosmos and all of that. Um, I mean, I remember because I started reading at four, which is, you know, pretty early for most people. Like he was, he was always there. Like, you need to do this. You need to like, let's read, let's do this. He was a very educated man. He had a lot of demons though. But um, I remember at like four and five years old, he would bring me the newspaper and he would say, I want you to read your horoscope. And like, he would sit there with me and like, make me read it, you know? And it's so funny because I've done like a million interviews on this story. And then I, I've always forgotten those details. There's always little pieces that come back. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so he would, you know, talk about winning the lottery all the time. And when I was little, I thought it was the coolest thing on the planet because he would incorporate my cousins and I in the story. And he would say, well, what do you want me to buy you when I win the lottery? When I win the lottery, we're going to go here and we're going to do this. And, you know, he would talk about traveling and taking us all these places. And, um, I thought it was really cool as a kid. And then as I got older, it got really embarrassing. (laughs) He just did not shut up about winning the fucking lottery. It was, we would go, you know, to Applebee's or TGI Fridays or whatever. And he would start talking to the waitress, you know, he'd have a drink or whatever. And then he'd just start talking to the waitress about it. And you could tell that the waitress was like, okay, dude, whatever. But he never stopped talking about it. And I was just like, oh my God, my uncle is drinking. He's telling people he's going to win the lottery. Like I need to get out of here. And then when I was 17 years old, he actually did. That's <laughs> insane. I mean, it's not insane though, because we know these principles, but it's just so cool to see it happen. So, um, and the funny thing is, you know, there's never a coincidence. He was not speaking to me for several months because I got pregnant at 16. Mm. And he was so disappointed in me. And he was like, you know, this isn't where your life was supposed to go. And so he didn't come to the hospital when my son was born. He didn't. And then um, like the day before he won the lottery is when he came to my house and basically made amends with me. Um, Yeah. And then the next um, called me drunk telling me he won the lottery and I didn't believe him. I was like, oh my God, my uncle's drunk again. (laughs) And then my other uncle gets on the phone and he's like, no, 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 he won, he won. And it was just like this, wow, like really did this just happen? And to this, you know, to this huge amount, like 42 million, it's not like, you know, I'm not saying like a hundred thousand or a million wouldn't be enough, but I'm just saying like, that is huge. It's because he talked about it so much. (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, thing is this time of course he released the how he released the resistance to it because this time is the time where he actually like my other uncle kept telling him somebody in our area won somebody in our area won check your ticket check your ticket and he was getting frustrated with him he was like I'll do it later (laughs) so there you go that's so funny and I mean One of the things, and I think it's important to talk about, is that down the road, he he didn't manage to keep all of the money. And so what I I kind of want you to talk about the importance about energy and you know our mindsets and all of that stuff. Like, what do you think was the key to him not keeping the money. Oh, I what did you get by the way? (laughs) (laughs) How much did he give you? (laughs) Well, you know, he wound up 
doing something that I thought was really cool. He gave each and every one of his um, brothers and sisters a million wow. and taxes so that they got a full million. Um, and then like he told them like that they could buy us what they felt, you know, was, was needed because he realized like he didn't want anybody thinking he was playing favorites. So, um, you know, so my parents wound up buying a duplex for my sister and I, while we went to college so that we didn't have to pay rent. Um, my brother, um, because my brother grew up with my uncle, they were closer in age. So my brother actually did get a million dollars. My brother bought me, um, a brand new Honda Civic. Well, let me, let me rephrase. My brother asked me what car I wanted and I wanted a Honda Civic cause I was really fast and furious stuff. Yes. Um, so he did that and put rims on it and all that for me. Um, and then when I was, purchasing my first home at 21, like my husband and I qualified for it all by ourselves. And like two days before I closed on my home, my uncle called me and told me to come to his house because he wanted to chat with me. And so when I went there, he was like, I'm giving you $50,000 towards your home as a gift. So, and of course, you know, like taking us little places here and there throughout. So uh, he had a huge heart, but yeah. I love this question because I talk about this all the time. And I think this is one of the main reasons why I love talking about money and telling people, you know, about the energy of money and like how to actually embody the worthiness of money. Yes. Because he did no inner work. He never did the inner work. He always knew the science behind it and, you know, the, the energy of, of, receiving obviously but he didn't have the energy to maintain and to hold on to and so what he wound up doing is the statistic is lottery winners within four to five years are typically broke and that's pretty much what happened in four to five years he wasn't broke because he was smart enough to have purchased a ton of rental properties that gave him a very good multiple six figure a year income but that's still nothing compared to the millions that he had once had. And so when you don't feel worthy and capable of actually earning the money, in my opinion, earning the money yourself, knowing that it's going to be consistently coming in and knowing that you're worthy, um, then I feel like it's very hard for people to want to hold on to money because then they're like, oh, well, let me get rid of it, you know, because they look at it in a different way. Totally. And, um, so he didn't address his, his demons of drinking and drugs and, and, you know, his, his demons of, you know, just the, the shadow work to say, I guess. And so accessing all of this money at one time without applying lessons that we typically learn along the way, um, just gave him, you know, easier access to stay at home and drink and, and do drugs. And so that was a huge downfall for him, which ultimately led to his death. So I'm so sorry to hear that. But at the same time, it's, it sounds like he did do so much good with it as well. He did, he did, you know, and, and, but that's where I say where it all comes back to worthiness because he gave to so many people. Like he um, was driving home one day, saw a hitchhiker on the side of the highway, picks the guy up, lets him in his car, drives the guy to a car dealership and buys the guy a car and sends him on his way. Wow. So he had a huge heart when it came to other people, but when it came to his own self-worth, you know, that's where the problem comes in. That's why I teach so much about personal worth and having boundaries and, and standards for yourself, you know, so that you can receive and hold on. Mm, I love that. So what, it sounds like worthiness was like one of definitely the biggest things that you took away. Were there any other lessons that you took away from this whole story? I mean, the biggest one was that, you know, whatever you continue to tell yourself is exactly what you're going to get. You know, if you settle for nothing less, that is what you are going to get. I love, 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 love that. Um, 
do you think that he played a role or had an influence on where you are today? Oh, definitely. Definitely. You know, I, um, I haven't shared this either. So this is amazing. Guys, you're getting the goods here. Yeah, you are. I grew up in a very strict Catholic home. Like I had to go to church every Sunday. Um, and even as a kid, like most kids, their, you know, their parents let them bring toys. Like, no, I was forced to follow along in the book as we were going along. Like a good I, thing you could read. Right? <laughs> and I couldn't, I remember my mom saying, open the book and just pretend that you're going along. Like, yeah, it was, I grew up in such a strict Catholic home. And like on Wednesday nights, I had to go what, to what we call catechism and, you know, um, and so I had to do all of that. And so it's funny because when I was younger, my uncle had all these beliefs and I started, you know, I spent a lot of time with him. He was the cool uncle. He had no of his own. So it was like, Oh, this is the cool uncle. And I started kind of following in his footsteps with, you know, like the astrology and all of that. And, and I remember my mom saying like, that's the work of the devil. Like, this is not, <laughs> not okay. And, um, and so, yeah, he definitely played a huge part in opening up this world for me at a very, very young age. I didn't dive deep back then, but I would have never been on this path had he not, you know, had his beliefs and, and shared them with me. And the funny thing is that now, now my mom is finally coming around and she's like, how do I sage my house? What crystals do you need? Just the other day, she was like, so I'm supposed to put my crystals out for the full moon. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's so cool. Um, okay. So to date, what is the greatest thing you've ever manifested? Oh, this is a hard one. Um, I've manifested a lot of really big shit, but my two favorite things that I'll, I'll say two, if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. Two favorite things was my Range Rover that I was able to pay cash for. <sighs> yes. I had dreams of having a Range Rover way before I ever you know, had any idea of how it was going to happen. Like, I mean, I was not making Range Rover type of money, <laughs> not Range Rover pay cash type of money. Um, so that, and then my trip to Bora Bora. Yes, that is, that looked like the most incredible. It's, it's a dream destination for me as well. Yeah. And you know, the funny, well, not the funny thing is, um, but when I watched The Secret was the first time that I decided to make a vision board mm. and the exact room that I put on my vision board in Bora Bora, the hut with a private pool is the one that I stayed in <laughs> when I was in Bora Bora. I love that though. Cause in The Secret, he talks about the vision board that he like put away in boxes and opened it up after years and was living in that home or had just purchased that home, something like that. And it was like the exact house. Yeah. It's so crazy because I remember when we, um, cause I booked it on Expedia and prior, you know, I would always think like, well, maybe the, the pool, um, you know, bungalow is too expensive because the private pools, you know, they, they add quite a bit to the room. And I was like, well, just as long as I get to Bora Bora. Well, when I was booking on Expedia, I don't know how I got the deal that I got because people are just like, wait, you paid what for that? But I got an amazing deal. And then like, if I look at that same room now, it's like triple. <gasps> and then it's this, when we got to Bora Bora, like we were the, I was getting impatient because I'm an MG. So yes. <laughs> they, um, they, give you personal service. So like they put you in the bar and, you know, they give you a drink or whatever. And then like, they're taking each person to their bungalow privately so that they can give you a tour and blah, blah. And I, we were the last people. And I was like, this is pissing me off until they took us to the room. 
And then I realized it had the view that was in my picture that was on my vision board. Oh my God, that is wild. And, and that's such a funny thing. So Yolanda just said MG. If you guys listen to the episode with Amy Allchurch, um, we're talking about human design here. And one of like the characteristics, I am also an MG, which is a manifesting generator. And, uh, in like, we want things to happen like now, like right away. And one of the things that we have to work on the most is like letting go and creating space and allowing things to happen when they're supposed to happen. And like, look at how that all worked out for you. Yeah. Everybody else didn't have the view that we had because we were kind of on a corner. Yeah. And um, also the depth of the ocean, like we were able to dive into the ocean and we had like stingrays coming up and everything. And everybody else was in a more shallow area where they couldn't dive in and all that. So it, it obviously worked out the way that it was supposed to. I love that so much. Um, So what being, being a money guru and all things manifestation on money what are some of your best tips when it comes to manifesting money? So, okay, this is where I probably get a little controversial from people. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> Bring it. The first thing is healing your limiting beliefs because you have to feel worthy. You have to 100% love yourself. You have to be able to say, I am worth everything that I want to call in. So that's the first step. The second step, I've triggered a few people when I've said this. All of the manifestation techniques, in my opinion, are placebo effect. Like the 55 by five, the two cup method, it's a placebo effect because the reality is all you need is the thought. All you need is to embody the thought by what do I smell? What do I hear? You know, like seeing yourself hear and feel. Yes. It's not about, oh, I'm going to drink this, this cup of water labeled with a six figure business. And then like, that's not, it's, it's a placebo effect to give you the embodiment of, I just drank this water. Now, (laughs) you know, that's my biggest, like, Put all of that aside. If, if it works for you, if it helps you program, reprogram your subconscious mind, great, go for it. But know that all you need to do is be able to sit in a quiet spot and visualize yourself, you know, doing the things that you want, having the things that you want and experiencing it and, and being able to picture that you're living it. Yes. This is very um, familiar sounding from, you know, maybe NLP or. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, what's funny is that when I, I just took NLP and then yeah. I was, there's a method to my madness. Totally. And so Yolanda just finished her practitioner training. She was there the week before I went to do my master practitioner training. So some of the people that were actually in your class were in my master, um, master class, which was really cool. And, um, it's just, it's so funny because NLP is really this beautiful modality where we connect to the subconscious mind in little to no time. And so when I'm talking about see, hear, feel, or when we're talking about eradicating limiting beliefs, like there are powerful as fuck NLP tools to help you do this at lightning speed. And I will never forget when I opened um, my, my textbook in practitioner training and there was the setting achievable outcomes page. And he's going on about talking about like, what will you see here and feel when you have it? And I'm like, this is manifestation. (laughs) And my mind was just blown because I was like, wow, like this is a really masculine driven kind of, or at least the way that the company we went through kind of teaches it is very just 
you know, you're sitting in a room with no windows for a week or two on end and for eight hours a day, and it's just uncomfortable chairs and all of this stuff. And you're sitting there, but so that's what I mean by like the masculine, they just kind of give you the facts and then you go and you do the techniques and you're certified. But there, there really is like a feminine flow to, to manifestation and, you know, being in the imagination of actually having it and seeing it and all of these and really living it before it's, it's called a future memory. It's before it happens, you already know exactly how it's going to play out like Bora Bora, or, you know, there have been moments that this has happened for me in my manifestation journey too. And so I don't know where I was going with this, but pretty much just like linking the NLP, like the hard facts to the, the feminine flow of manifestation. And that's what I absolutely love about NLP. What were some of like your favorite things that you learned while you were there? Um, you know, I use time techniques with a lot of my clients because like it's so powerful. And it's funny because yesterday I was doing time techniques with one client and at the beginning, um, she didn't say anything to me about it, but when we were done doing, um, like the very first, you know, release of anger, she was bawling yeah. and looked at me and she goes, when you explained to me what we were going to do, there was no way in my head I thought this was going to work. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy because all you're doing, it's, it's not something for your conscious mind to understand. It is all at the subconscious level. And if you guys are into NLP, one of the things that you'll know is that between the conscious mind and the subconscious mind, there's this thing called the critical faculty. And you have to be able to make that leap as a practitioner to be able, because your conscious mind is going to be putting up all the blocks for you to be able to communicate with the subconscious because your conscious mind wants to know the how and wants to have all of the details figured out and all of these things. But at the subconscious level, it doesn't have to make sense. And that's why time techniques are so powerful is because you, you skip over that critical faculty and you can explain to someone all day long what you're going to talk about and how it's going to help. And until you actually do it, there's no rhyme or reason for it, right? But then you experience these releases and they are just so fucking powerful. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and you know, I, it's funny because that's one of the most powerful things that I feel like I did that and anchoring, like I've really incorporated that into my coaching lately and it's moving mountains for people. Um, I did have a, another client yesterday on our call. Um, you know, I was trying to take her through time techniques and, and she was giving me answers where I was just like, okay, no, 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 no. You're in your conscious mind. We've got to get into your unconscious. And I just told her the basically the same thing that you just said. It's like, it's not supposed to make sense to you. Yeah. You're consciously trying to think of a memory. Then that's not, that's not what we're doing here. Yeah. You have to be willing to just kind of let go and allow your subconscious to do the work because that's, that's the exact same thing. I get clients tell me all the time that like, well, you know, I have this thought of when I was four, I have this thought of when I was X amount. And I'm like, nope, that's, that's, you don't need to remember the incident in order for it to work because your subconscious knows your subconscious has recorded every single thing that you have ever done, ever said, ever experienced in your life but your conscious mind can't compute it, right? We can only take in so much. Our conscious minds only operate at 0.006% of what we um, process in any given second. So 99.994, whatever it is, percent is subconscious activity every waking second, which is wild. So I absolutely love NLP and time techniques. I am so happy you got certified. Are you going to go back and do your master? Yeah. You know, I was really, I was really debating it just because of the time frame. You know, it's like two weeks long. And like you said, you know, you're in this room all day long. And then it's like you're trying to run your business from a few hours in the morning, you know. And then, yeah, you feel like you're locked in four walls all day. Like it's really 
it's kind of tough, you know? And I was like, I don't know if I can do this for two weeks. But then I saw you and everybody else at MasterPrac and I was like, major FOMO, like, man, (laughs) to go to master prac and I hope that the people that I'm with are this cool our group was something else like our instructor even said that I think we were a really challenging group for him but at the same time we were the the energy and the the collaboration that was amongst us was incredible like we had people from all over there was a woman who even flew in from Australia or New Zealand, like there with people from all over. Um, but the thing that I want to say is that if you are listening to this and you are into NLP or you are a practitioner, but you haven't gone to get your master's yet, do it. Because this was the thing for me is that I did my master practitioner and I, not that I hated it, but it was just very uncomfortable for me. It pushed me outside the limits of my comfort zone. And it was seven days. And I thought to myself, how the fuck am I going to do this for two weeks when I barely got by seven days? But honestly, coming home from that training, everything shifted for me. Everything that was kind of it didn't quite click for me in practitioner training completely clicked and shifted for me in master prac. Plus on top of that, like the breakthrough days are just mind, mind blowing. So I'm so happy to hear that you're going to go and do it because it's incredible. Going back to manifestation though, I want to know when you see people who are maybe new to manifestation, right? Where are they getting themselves tripped up? Like where do they block themselves from manifesting? Mm, resistance, major yeah. resistance because they always think they're doing it wrong. They always like, oh my God. And what they don't realize is that you're always manifesting. Like everything in your reality now is being manifest. It was manifested by your thoughts, by by what you settled for, by what you, you know, what your standards were, what your um, requirements were of yourself you've manifested this reality. And so rather than, you know, and that's why I say, I go back to the, um, like the 55 by five and the two cup, because people are like, Oh my God, I just did the 55 by five, but then I realized I missed a day. And so now am I going to have to start over? Like, you know, and then they panic and it's like, well, you would have been fine, but now you're panicking and now you're creating resistance to what you want because you're overthinking it. So don't, don't overthink it at all. Like Kiki said a million times here, like trust and surrender, like you're putting it out there and it's being delivered by the universe. It's not your job to figure out when the delivery is coming, how the delivery is coming. Like you don't go to the post office and double check and make sure, you know, like, Hey, you know, so good. You know, that's not, that's not our job. So it's just, it's just putting the thought out there believing that it's coming and then there's no resistance. Oh, I love that. It's so I love that you say the post office because I've never heard that analogy, but one of my favorite ones is like when you get on a plane, you get on at the gate, you get in the seat, you sit down, you have your flight, you drink whatever, your wine. And I mean, I usually do. (laughs) You watch your movie or you do your work or you sleep. And then when you wake up, you get on your flight to from Toronto to Austin and you trust that when you arrive, you're going to be in Austin. But do you go up to the pilot and knock on the door and say, where are you going? What degree? What angle? Like you don't, right? You just trust and surrender that you're going to land in Austin versus Los Angeles, right? Like it's just, that's, the trust and surrender that you need to have in the universe. And especially one of the things that I really wanted to touch on, because this is just like so um, recent for me, is that I, as a manifesting generator, it's speaking your things into existence. Yolanda and I were talking about this right before um, we hopped on. And if you have a defined throat center in your human design chart, you need to be speaking your things into existence. I had a call with my coach last last week 
And I've been talking about wanting to travel and wanting to leave. I've been living at home for the past couple months post breakup. And um, while I am so grateful to my parents and like having the space to to live and like get back on my feet. It's not my desire to be living at the age of 32 in my parents' home. It's my desire to be taking my freedom-based business and actually being the digital nomad that I quit my nine to five job for to, to go out and do it. And so my coach just kind of asked me, she was like, so when, when are you going to decide that you're doing this? And I was like, Oh shit. It just, hit me right up the the side of the head. And so I really want you guys to understand that, you know, your not just your thoughts, but your language around things is also so important. And I have absolutely zero idea, like financially or where I'm going or any of those things, but I just, I put it out there. I decided and I committed and the universe has like lined everything. I will do a podcast episode about this because the universe has lined everything up perfectly for it to unfold the way it's supposed to. I love that you say this because I had this conversation a few weeks ago of people think that the universe is supposed to do all of the heavy lifting. Like the universe is supposed to do it all. I'm going to trust and surrender. I'm not going to sit on this thought. But no, we have to take action. And so that was you taking action. And then the universe followed suit and delivered, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's not just about sitting down in your, you know, on your little meditation pillow and, and visualizing. Like, we actually have to go out and get what we want, guys. <laughs> exactly. And the universe is going to put things in your way, in in your path to say, are you going to, are you going to follow up on this? Or are you going to kind of brush it off to the side. Like I had a woman reach out to me saying, Hey, I saw that you're desiring to travel. Do you want to come and house sit for me for three weeks in Florida? And I was like, um, yeah, actually at first I said, no, at first I was like, Oh, it's the holidays. I'm saving for travels in January. And then I decided to, to follow through with it because I said something just told me to go back to it. Something told me to not brush it off so quickly and when I looked at flights, they were only 150 bucks. I was like, I'm going. <laughs> That's taking action. That's doing the thing. One time, like one, one, one. Ah! All of the vibes. Okay. So, um, fine. Well, I've got two final questions for you. What advice do you have for anyone who is new to manifestation and doesn't know where to start? Um, what I would start with is just journaling. Um, mm-hmm. was the easiest thing for me to do. And for those of you that don't know, scripting is like, you're, you're, you're writing about your dream life as though you're already living it today. So journaling is, I feel like the easiest place to start because you can start off, you know, saying that you woke up today and, you know, like, like you're living your life, but then all of a sudden you just go into, I'm so grateful for, you know, all of the opportunities, you know, whatever they may be like uh, for this amount in my bank account or for this many clients, you know, reaching out to me, like whatever it is, like just giving gratitude as though it's already here. That's the really, really easy way to get going in my opinion. I love that. I always tell my clients when we get to uh, the manifestation portion of the spiritual CEO, I always tell them to have their journaling prompts starting with, thank you universe. I am so happy and grateful now that, and then yeah, whatever it is. So I have absolutely loved this conversation. I always love being in your energy. Um, The final thing that I just kind of want to ask and for you to give insight on is the fact that one of the things I love most about you is your like truest authenticity and unapologetic you-ness. Like you just are yourself and you don't give a fuck if people care or not. And that, that is one of the things that I always try to embrace. I definitely having been through those unworthiness pieces and like not being able to express myself fully as a kid, 
it's something that comes up for me um, every once in a blue moon. I try not to let it, but it does rear its head every once in a while. So where does this come from? Where does your, your authenticity come from? Well, first of all, thank you. But I see the same in you. So I know where, you know, but we all have our moments. I mean, I still have my moments too, where, you know, it's like, uh, um, you know, before I would just always say, like, I had a trauma happen to me as a child and I, I felt like it kind of gave me this chip on my shoulder of like, you know, I'm not going to let anything hurt me again. Like I'm gonna, I, I can do it. I, I can do anything that I want to. Um, I'm in plus MG manifesting generator. I'm a total rebel. So it's funny if somebody tells me that something can't be done, the rebel inside of me is dying to prove to them that they are wrong. So it's like, I get this fire lit up in me. It's like, no, 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 I'm going to show you. Let me, let me sh- step aside. Let me show you. <laughs> but, um, you know, I won't get too, too deep in this cause I know we're wrapping this up, but the funny thing is I recently went to a spiritual retreat with my mom, my aunt and my sister in Sedona. And I had a past life regression done on me, which is where, you know, you're not having like a psychic or a healer tell you about your past life. They are hypnotizing you and you are opening up about your past life. And the crazy thing is that um, I found out that in both past lives that I recalled, I was a male and I made a lot of money in both. Well, the first one that came, I was a cattle farmer, very, very, very successful. And um, so like just very masculine energy, like go, let's do it. And then the, the one before that was, um, that was even further was I was a pharaoh and I was, yeah. So wow. apparently I was an evil person though, like in both of them, like I wasn't really confused. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. You're making up for it in this life. Yeah. Well, that's actually, the lady was like, um, you're sent here as a woman this life to, you know, to make up for that. And I was like, Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> that's hilarious. I love that. You know, like I'm going to be me and either you're going to love it or you're not you know, and then probably a little bit from my uncle too, because he was a total rebel and just didn't really care, like whatever. So I, I think when, you know, when you honor your voice, instead of like dimming your light and dimming your voice to let others dictate, like that's when you lose yourself. So I just want everybody to just honor their voice, speak up. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Because that was the biggest thing for me getting uh, thyroid cancer was really not speaking my truth. And so that is why I try my hardest to do it all the time now. And I think that's another, like, I love that you say rebel, because that's why we connect on such a great level. It's like, fuck the rules, fuck everyone else. Like, I'm going to do it my way. My mom has always said that I have marched to the beat of my own drum. And it just, especially after learning about being a manifesting generator, it like just all clicked for me. It was so My mom had a problem with it. Like my mom, you know, was just like, why do you always have to do the opposite? (laughs) Yeah, totally. Oh my God. I was a hell, like a hellion. I was hell on wheels when I was a teenager. I was the definition of rebel. Like it was bad. I, God bless my mother for the woman she is now. (laughs) I was definitely not an easy child to deal with. So there was that. Anyways, um, I know people are going to love you. I know they are going to want to follow you. So where can they find you if they want to connect? Oh, um, yeah. So I'm on IG as Manifest Manifest Mad Money. Um, I have a free Facebook group that I do live trainings in, like randomly, because remember, I'm a rebel. I don't like to... (laughs) Um, and so that is called manifest mad money. And then I also have my podcast manifest mad money that, um, we have a new episode every week. Amazing. So I will include all of those links in the show notes. 
I just want to say thank you so much for spending the time with us today and for being here and sharing your amazing stories with us. I love and appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for having me. The feeling is like so mutual. I love you so, so, so much. I love you too. All right, guys, make sure to tag us in your stories, screenshot this, share it, rate and review, do all of the things, and we will see you next time. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. If you loved what you heard, please spread all those good vibes by leaving a five-star review, as well as screenshotting this episode and tagging at Namaste Babe over in your stories on Instagram. With love and light, the fiercest fuck goddess in me recognizes and honors the fiercest fuck goddess in you. And until next time, Namaste.